Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and declare that you have risen. And Father, we just so much ask that you would speak to us directly through your word, directly to our hearts, and directly to our minds. So Father, as we open your word, would you speak to us now, for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. We're starting a brand new series called All Things New. And so we're going to look at all things new. We're going to look at this morning, um, as long as everything's okay up here, uh, we're going to look at this morning that all things are new. And so we're going to look at the life of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a successful guy, and Jesus Christ begins to say some things to him that I think all of us need to hear. Next week, we're going to look at a life of hope and how to live a life of hope and how to begin again and how to start again. Because all of us sometimes, isn't it true, all of us just need a fresh start. There's some times in life that we just need to begin again. There's some types, times in life we just need a fresh start. And then we're going to look at how to live a life of hope and how to begin again with a life of hope and with a life of forgiveness. But this morning we're going to look at the life of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was this type of guy. He was successful in his community. He was successful in his church. He was successful. fact is that Nicodemus was one of the most respected men in his community. And so we're going to look at his life when he has an encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ speaks some things into his life. In other words, what, Nick, what, what Jesus offered Nicodemus was a fresh start. He was offering him a new life in him, a new life of forgiveness. And so the conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus Christ changes his life and will change our life as well. If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with me to John chapter 3. If not, the scriptures and the words are going to come up on the side screens for you to follow along. But when you look at, look at Nicodemus' life, Jesus Christ offered him a new life. And there's three things I want to just draw your attention to this morning of Nicodemus' life. His first thing is this, is Nicodemus understood there is a need. A lot of times that's what starts us out in a search. That's what starts us out in a new search. And Nicodemus understood that, that he had this void in his life. He had this need in his life that could not be filled through religion, could not be filled through success. You see, we live in a time when people will tell you, Nike will tell you, that winning takes care of everything. But we know that winning doesn't take care of everything. We know that success doesn't take care of any, everything. There are some things that winning cannot rub out of your life. There are some things that success that cannot take out of your life. And Nicodemus understood there. There's two things that if you look at Nicodemus' life and you try to describe him, the one is this. He was respected. He had a position in his church. He had a position within the community. And Nicodemus was this guy that was respected. John chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God and for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. When you look at every spiritual detail of Nicodemus' life, it communicates that he was highly, highly respected. The fact is the Bible tells us that Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. Now, many of us have some false beliefs about the Pharisees. Many of us believe, well, those Pharisees, those are just some evil guys. In other words, that they were really legalistic and they, they, they added rules upon rules and they heaped burden onto people. And, and some of them did. But some of them 
were some really good guys. Nicodemus was, fact is, the Pharisees were some of the most conservative theologians of their day. They believed in God. They worshiped God. They went to church. Uh, they, they believed in Jesus. The fact is, when you look at a Pharisee, you, you needed several things to be a Pharisee. The first one is this, that a Pharisee would in, attend church every week. A Pharisee was that type of guy that, that, that religiously prayed, and he prayed like daily. He, a Pharisee would read the Bible daily. And you know what? A Pharisee not only would read the Bible, they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now, you may think that's no big deal. You did that a long time ago. You realize the first five books? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You know Leviticus? You know that, that book of the Bible that when you're reading through the Bible in a year, you kind of skim over? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. But that wasn't all. They, they were so committed, they fasted two times a week. They tithed 10% to their local church. You see, when you look at verses 1 and 2, you realize that, ne- uh, that Nicodemus not only believed in God, but he even believed that Jesus was from God. He even believed that the miracles that Jesus did were, were miracles. And there are a lot of people like Nicodemus that mentally believe in Jesus but they've never surrendered their lives to him. They've never really changed. See, Nicodemus was more than a Pharisee. Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was a group of men, about 71 men. And it was, it was a ruling council and it was some of the most respective men in their community. And they would rule on different religious things. It was kind of... It was, it was kind of in our time, from a legal perspective, like the Supreme Court. And so you look at Nicodemus and everything about his life, you realize that he, he was respected, that he was a respectable guy. Not only when you look at Nicodemus' life, you realize that he was successful in business. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 39 says, Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds in weight. In other words, only a man of means, only a wealthy individual could, could, could do that. And you look at his life and you realize that he was respected and that he was moral and that he was a good person and that he was, he was respected within his church and within the community. But yet there was something that was missing out of his life. There was something that religion could not fill. There was something that success that could not fill. There was something that just being a good person that could not fill in his life. And he came to Jesus, and Jesus brings him to a point because he was searching, and he knew that there was a need. I mean, it's hard for us to admit our mistakes, right? I mean, I'm not the only one. That sometimes it's just difficult for us to admit our mistakes. Uh, my dad's been going through cancer surgery and some other things and I went back to Houston, Texas to be with him and I'm at the hospital and I get in an elevator to go up to his room and I've done it several times but I get lost wherever I go and so I got in the elevator, it was a crowded elevator, a bunch of white coats at the teaching hospital and that just kind of made me nervous and so, so I'm, I'm in there and we're going up and then all of a sudden the, the elevator stops, the doors open and I get off. Well I take a few steps off and I realize it's the wrong floor. So I have a choice. I can either turn around and admit to a bunch of strangers that I'm lost and I'm wrong, or I can keep walking. I kept walking. 
I did. I didn't want to admit. And so I just walked. I walked down the hall. I waited until I heard the door close. And then I went back, ran quickly, hit the button, got in the elevator, and just prayed none of them showed back up because they would know. And Jesus Christ says this, unless you're willing to admit, unless you're willing to admit that you're not perfect, unless you're willing to admit that you're sinful, unless you're willing to admit that you've done some things and made some mistakes, and that you understand that there's a need and that you need me, you will perish. I mean, Nicodemus was different. He could admit his imperfection. Well, not only was Nicodemus respectful and respected in his community, the other thing is this, there's a restlessness about Nicodemus. I mean, he had a restlessness in his life that religion and success and all of those other things could not fill. I mean, it's surprising when you look at the dynamics that Nicodemus would even come to Jesus at all. Nicodemus was older than Jesus. Nicodemus was rich and Jesus was poor. Nicodemus held a, an official office and Jesus held no office. But he came to Jesus and he humbled himself because there was a need in his life, because there was a void in his life. See, Nicodemus was religious, but he learned, like many of us, that religion is empty. He was religious, but he still, he still wondered if he would go to heaven. Do you realize that's what brought Nicodemus to Jesus? Assurance of salvation. See, for some reason, for some reason, religion will lead of a void in your life in that area. You will always wonder, are you good enough? Have you done enough things? Have you done enough rituals? Have you... See, religion is a man-made, remember I said man-made, religion is a man-made barrier to God. See, religion is this. Religion is man's attempt, some way to work your way to heaven, some way to, to, to get to God. And so religion is man's attempt to, to God, but Jesus Christ is God's attempt to get to man. See, they rolled away the stone on Easter Sunday not to let God out, but to let us in so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we understand that we can have this relationship with him and that we are forgiven and that we can have a new life in him. See, here's what religion tells you. Religion looks at you and points at you and says, oh, how big is your sin? Followers of Christ, Jesus Christ points to the cross and says, oh, how big is the cross? That I can totally and completely forgive you. See, God has forgiven you when you come into, into a relationship with him, when you ask him for forgiveness, when you have a relationship with him, Jesus Christ will forgive every one of your sins. And you may say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, you don't know me, you don't know my sins, you don't know how big my sins are. Listen, I don't need to know your sins, I don't need to know how big your sins, because I know how big the cross is. And the cross covers your sin. In spite of who Nicodemus was, in, si in spite of being successful in his church and successful in his community, being moral and being respected and being good, there's like this, there's this emptiness in his life and there's something about Jesus. There is something about him that draws Nicodemus to him. There's this peace, there's this joy, there is this assurance about him. But Nicodemus in verse 2, remember, he could not dismiss the miracles of 
of Jesus. And See, can I tell you, moral people need Jesus. Good people need Jesus. Religious people need him. See, people can appear to have it all together. They can appear to have it all together on the outside when inside they are falling apart. And maybe you are successful right now and maybe your family is together and maybe your job is going well and maybe you're respected and maybe you're good and maybe you're moral, but I'm telling you, you can reach that point to go beyond success to significance. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? I mean, Jesus asked the question, what good is prosperity and what good is success? If our lives don't count for something, and all the success and all the money and all the pleasure of this world will not satisfy the hunger in the human heart, will not fill that God-shaped vacuum that God has placed in every one of us. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 4, he said, Jesus answered him, says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Nicodemus knew. He knew there was a restlessness in him. He knew there was a need, and it carried him on a search. In fact, that's our second principle. There is a need, and then there is a search. See, it was a need that was in Nicodemus' life that, that success could not fill and religion could not fill. And so Nicodemus was searching for something more. Nicodemus was that person that says there has to be more to this life than just this. So verse 3, Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so there's an amazing thing about this passage. Jesus says this to a man that reads the Bible every day, has memorized the first five books, goes to church every week, tithes 10% of his income, would fast two times a week, And he looks at him and says, all of that is good, but guess what? You need a relationship with me. In other words, this is is essential, not optional. See, heaven is not going to be made up of a group of born-again believers over here and then some religious believers over here. Jesus was telling him, everybody needs a relationship with me. And Jesus would tell him, just as you were born physically, you need to be born spiritually. And so Jesus was asking Nicodemus just a really direct question, a pointed question. He asked him this question. He says, have you been born again? I'm asking you today. Have you been born again? Do you have a relationship with him? Now listen, don't be so quick just to blow that question off. Because Paul wrote to the Corinthians and Paul said this, every one of us must examine our lives to make sure whether we're in the faith or not. Listen, this question, have you been born again, is one of the most important questions for you to answer. Because when you look at this statement, there's just so much confusion over this. And Jesus is the one that said, you must be born on earth and in heaven. You must be born spiritually and, just as, or, and physically as well. And so this was hard for Nicodemus to understand. John chapter 3, verse 7, he goes on, he says, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, Nicodemus, don't marvel at this. In other words, don't be astonished. Don't, don't wonder about this. That I've said to you that you must be born again. Now, leave that verse up there if you guys in the back can. That statement, you must be born again. Now, listen, I'm from Texas, and I'm not really good at English, but, but here's one thing I know. 
that in the English language, you cannot be plural. Okay? So here's an interesting thing about the Greek lesson, just a real quick Greek lesson, and then we'll move on. In the Greek, the word you can be plural. Now, could have solved it if Jesus had been from Texas, because we fixed that. So in Texas, we would say, y'all need to be born again. So, so it just kind of takes care of it. And so what, what, what Jesus was saying, he was using the plural for you, and he was saying, Nicodemus, not only you, but everybody must be born again, must come to this place in their life to where they understand that all the good stuff that they do and all the moral, the, regardless of how religious and regardless of how moral, regardless of how good, you need a relationship with me if you want to go to heaven. See, the church must be a place of leading people to Christ. And Jesus Christ is talking about a spiritual birth, and he's talking about his physical birth. Watch this, verse 4 out of John chapter 3. How can a man be born when he is old? Listen, let me tell you something. You are never too old to be born again. See, Nicodemus is saying, I want that. I, I get that. That's a, that's a radical change in your life. That's, a, that's an inward change in your life, and I get that, and I understand that. But he's like, how can I? How can I be born again when I'm so old? Some of you may be asking, how can I be born again when I've lived a life up to this point like I have? And so Nicodemus goes, so Jesus says, and Nicodemus goes on in verse 4 and says, Surely he cannot enter a womb a second time into his mother's womb to be born and Nicodemus is confused. He says, this is just a radical change. Verse 5, so Jesus answered him and says, I tell you the truth, again. He says, no one, no religious, no one, no one can live a perfect life. No one can live a life to deserve heaven. He says, and I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of, of water. That's the, that's the physical birth. I mean, we know this, right, that if, if a woman is pregnant and her water breaks, you better get, to, get her to a hospital quickly. And so he says, no one is born of water. And, and he says, in the kingdom of God, unless he is born of water and of spirit. And the spirit represents the power that comes into your life to radically change you. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation, and the old is gone, and the new has come. In other words, that there's this radical change that happens in your life. I mean, I mean, this new birth spiritual experience is a very personal experience, and, but it's not easily explained. See, the legitimacy of a birth is not determined by the emotion that surrounds it, but by the life that it produces, and so is true with the Christian life. And so verse 7 out of John chapter 3, the scripture goes on and he says, And so do not marvel that I said this to you, that you must be born again. And so he uses a couple of analogies to understand the mystery. And he says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus compares it to the, to the, to the wind. And so we have weathermen and we have, have people that predict the weather, right? And and they do the best they can at it because it's a mystery, right? I mean, we went through a storm last week that nobody predicted. 
I mean, there's like this mystery to this, this. And so Jesus is trying to help him understand that there's a mystery to this. And he goes on, verse 14, and he says, as, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, he's referencing a chapter, Numbers chapter 21, when, 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 when the Israelites were, were bitten by poisonous snakes and they were dying by like the hundreds. And so God instructed Moses and told Moses to take this bronze snake and put it high up on a pole. And then have everybody look on that snake and then if they would look on the snake that they would be healed. And that didn't make sense to them. But it worked because it was ordained by God. And you know what? It may be hard for us to understand how Jesus Christ lifted up on a cross. That whoever will accept him and ask him to come into their life will totally and completely forgive them of their sins and as a result that they will have eternal life. See, the new birth is by faith and not by works. John 3, 16 that was so eloquently read when we opened this service says this. Fact is, as it comes up on the screen, I'm going to ask you, would you read that out loud with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, salvation is not by works. Salvation is not by doing enough for God. Salvation is this. Salvation is you and I coming to the place to where we understand that our sin separates us from him and that only a relationship with him brings forgiveness of sin. It, it doesn't say whoever is a good person, whoever does more good stuff than bad stuff when they die. It doesn't say the person that attends this church or that church. You know what it says? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever will believe in him, put their trust in him, that they should not perish but have eternal life. Early in Michael Jordan's career, he scored a, a, a high, and I think it continued his record. He stored, scored 69 points in one game. There was this bench warmer, this no-name guy that none of us remember. I don't even remember his name. And so he came in the game, and he shot a free throw, and he made one point. At the end of the season, one of the reporters stopped the young man, the bench warmer, and asked him, hey, what is your most memorable moment of your pro basketball career? He goes, I'll never forget it. The night Michael Jordan and I teamed up, teamed up to score 70 points in a game. <laughs> so it's ridiculous for us to boast what we have done for God. It's ridiculous for us to boast that we've been this good person, this religious person, this moral person, like we're working our way into heaven. So there is a need. There is a search. And the last thing is this, is there has to be a response it's part of the new birth, John 3, chapter seven, or John 3, verse 17. He goes on, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not, he has not believed. In the name of of the only Son of God. The offer of salvation is for whosoever, whoever believes. And if we sneer at God and we reject his offer, it, he doesn't save us. The fact is what the scripture says is you are already condemned by your decision. 
interesting time in American history was 1813. There was this man by the name of George Wilson. And so George Wilson robbed the mail, and then as a result of that, and he shot and killed a government employee. Now they arrested him, they found him, they arrested him, he went to court, he was found guilty, and his sentence was to be executed by hanging. And so the prison warden came to him, and George Wilson looked at him and says, I reject the pardon. That had never happened in American history. And so the prison warden didn't know what to do and didn't know how to handle it. So he went through the chain, and so it made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court met, and they met over the issue, how do we handle this when someone has been condemned to die by a hanging and and then given a pardon because Andrew Jackson, the president, gave him a pardon, and he rejects the pardon, what do you do with that? And so here's, the, here's what the Supreme Court said, Chief Justice John Marshall. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by acceptance by the one who has been pardoned. If it has been refused, it is not a pardon, and George Wilson must be hanged. God has offered us a pardon from sin, a new life in Jesus Christ. If a person defiantly rejects that pardon, then the pardon no longer applies. And so we don't know how Nicodemus responded, but there are a couple of passages in the scriptures that gives us an indication that he acknowledged him publicly. Watch this, John chapter 7, verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to him, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises in Galilee. So Nicodemus acknowledged him publicly and didn't worry what his friends would think. Nicodemus also publicly admits his devotion to Christ. John chapter 19, verse 38. After these things, Joseph Joseph said, Who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took away his body. Now watch this, Nicodemus. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds in weight. I am asking you a simple question this morning. Have you been born again? This is the most important question to ask and answer because winning doesn't take care of everything. Jesus Christ takes care of everything. Jesus Christ is the one that said that you must be born again. I've shared with our church, and maybe this is your first time, and let me just share a brief history of of my life and my testimony, that there was a time in my life when I was 16 years old and my parents were worried about my salvation. And so they, they, they took me to church, and the whole goal of taking me to church was to get Charlie saved so that we know that he's going to heaven. And so I went to a church, and I accepted Christ, and I prayed a prayer, and I walked an aisle, and then the next week I got baptized. And then from that point on, from 1976 to 1981, I never went back to a church. And I thought that this, some religious thing that I did had saved me. I thought that some religious thing that I did, but my life did not change. I did not have a desire to read the word. I did not have a desire to go to church. I did not have a desire to serve him. Fact is, I was still doing the things on the weekends that I was doing before I made that decision, before I walked the aisle, before I prayed that prayer, before I was baptized. And I'm telling you, in that four-year period and five-year period in my life, there was an emptiness in my life. 
and I knew that there was something that was missing. And I struggled in that time. And when my life totally and completely fell apart, and I walked into a church for the very first time after four years of making that decision, and I'd hit rock bottom. And yeah, I was successful at that time, and I was respected, and I was all of those things. But I knew something was missing. And then I realized, I didn't know Christ. My life had not changed. And I'm asking you, have you been born again? A lot of people, when you start asking these questions, will say, well, they may breathe a silent prayer or say something like, you know, well, God, if, if I'm not saved, please save me. You know, if I need you and if I haven't done that and if I'm not going to heaven, then I ask that you save me. And, and the reason that people do that is because they really don't know for sure. I've had people ask me, well, listen, Pastor, do you need to know the date? And No, you don't really need to know the date. You may, well, you may forget the date that you got married once. But you will never forget that someone moved in with you. You will not forget the event. You may forget the date, but you will not forget the date. You will not forget that someone moved in with you and your life radically changed and someone is living with you now. When you get saved, your life radically changes and someone moves in with you. So I'm asking you, because I find there is so much confusion in this area because when I sit across a lunch table or, or a restaurant or wherever and talking with someone and I ask them that question and say, hey, just tell me, are you a follower of Christ? Are, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? And they, they look at me and they say, I'm pretty sure. Man, I, 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 I think I am. I mean, I, mean I, I went to church once or it just kind of, it just kind of evolved. Or, and then if I, if I press in, I said, well, tell me about when. Can, can you tell me about when? And they say, you know what, that's always been a... That's always been a difficult for me. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I'm kind of confused. I'm, I mean, there was a time that, that I went to a class. There was a time that I was baptized. There was a time that I walked an aisle. There, there, there was a time that I, that I made a decision. There was a, the, but, but you know what? That's really, that's really a hard one for me. You know what? If you stop me after the service and you look at me and you say, Pastor, can I ask you a question? Are you married? And so, I don't know. That's always been a hard one for me. I mean, I mean, I think I am. I'm pretty sure that I am. I mean, I've always been. Maybe I've just always been, or I think I am. You know, I, I wear a ring, so I, I did something, so that must mean something. Listen, I'm telling you, when I'm asking you, has there been a time in your life when you've given up control of your life and your life changes? I'm asking you. When did that change happen in your life? When you totally and completely surrendered to God. When you told God, God, I give you total and complete control of my life. To where your heart began to change and your desires began to change and your life began to change. If it has never happened to you, or you're not sure, what a great time to nail it down on Easter Sunday. Because I'm telling you, what Jesus told Nicodemus was this. That you are basing all of eternity on that one question. Have you been born again? You're not basing eternity on if you've attended church, if you pray, 
if you fasted, if you've done some religious thing, you are basing all of eternity on how you answer that question and what you do with your life. 